The story is told of an elderly couple who lived together in a nursing home. And though they'd been married for 60 years, their relationship was filled with constant arguments, disagreements, and shouting matches. The fight didn't even stop once they got into the nursing home. In fact, the couple argued so much and with such velocity that the nursing home said if they didn't change their ways, they were going to kick them out. But even then, the couple couldn't agree on what to do. So finally, the wife said to her husband, I tell you what, Joe, let's pray that one of us dies. And then she said, and after the funeral is over, I'll go live with my sister. (laughs) Now, I I hope things have never gotten so bad in your marriage that you prayed that your spouse would die, or at least said said as much out loud. And, And you don't have to say it out loud, but have you and your spouse ever struggled to be on the same page about something? Have you ever, you and your spouse, had a serious disagreement or argument? And have you perhaps, even at times, maybe even shouted? Perhaps you have. I mean, on some level, disagreements, having a hard time getting on the same page, this is something all couples experience, amen? Amen? Amen. Which is precisely why we need our text this morning. This morning we once more are going to study Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. We've been mining this passage for the last several weeks. And in the first part of this passage, the Apostle Paul, he articulates beautifully, I would suggest, the different roles that God has ordained for a husband and wife within marriage. This is God's prescription. This is God's blueprint for how He wants marriages to be and how marriages can thrive. Well, now here at the end of Ephesians 5, Paul articulates what is arguably the most important biblical truth for married couples to embrace and apply. Indeed, I'm going to suggest this morning that this truth that we're going to find here at the end of Ephesians 5, this truth is the North Star that can not only lead married couples out of conflict, but perhaps even more importantly, lead them to a satisfying, God-honoring marriage. And what is that truth? Well, look with me once more at Ephesians 5. That's that's page 978 in that white paperback Bible in the seat in front of you. And follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read Ephesians chapter 5. Beginning in verse 22. So Paul writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Here again, he's, he's moving towards the home. 
And these are God's good instructions for husbands and wives. And Paul writes this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. How, Paul? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Amen and amen. This is God's good, good word. Uh, how many of you have children that are married? Okay, very good. Many of you? Uh, Sadhana and Sanji Prasad of India they have a son who is married. But you know what? They're not happy. And you know why they're not happy? They're not happy because their son and daughter-in-law have not given them grandchildren. Indeed, they are, they are so frustrated that their son and daughter-in-law have not given them grandchildren that they have resorted to a desperate tactic in order to force their son's hand. And you know what it is they have done? They've sued their son. This is a true story. The couple's legal representative said, quote, they raised him, educated him, made him capable, made him a pilot, which was expensive. It goes on. 
This couple filed a suit against their son and daughter-in-law seeking damages in the amount of 50 million Indian, I'm going to say this wrong, rupees? Rupees? Yay, yay for me. Okay. For those of you who have been here, that's a victory, okay? Or about 643,000 U.S. dollars. Speaking to CNN, the legal representative said this. They see people in their neighborhood playing with their grandchildren and feel like they should also have one. They said they didn't marry their son and daughter-in-law off so they could live alone. So they said, in the next year, either give us a grandchild or give us compensation. Can you imagine? You know what? Actually, I can. And you know why? Because whether they recognize it or not, their lawsuit, this couple's lawsuit against their son, it reveals something of their understanding of both parenting and marriage. And sadly, it's quite common, and you know what that is? They believe that their marriage, and then by extension their parenting, exists for them. Look again what they said. Now, now, is it wrong to want grandchildren? All the grandparents say, what? No. Of course not. And should all young couples pursue having children? Yes, absolutely. But suing your son to have grandkids reveals something much deeper is going on there. Namely, they're living for themselves. In the text I just read, Ephesians 5, Paul articulates the purpose for every Christian marriage, including yours. And you know what that purpose is, Christian? That purpose is to glorify Christ. We could summarize it this way. Marriage exists for Christ's glory, not yours. This, I want to argue, is Paul's main point in verses 31 through 32. Christian, your marriage is to glorify your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, by reflecting, by imaging Christ's love for the church and then her glad-hearted, submissive response unto Him. Marriage exists for Christ's glory, not your own. As pastor and author Tony Morita has written, if the starting point for marriage is me, then I'm starting at the wrong place. Marriage exists for Christ's glory. Yet sadly, many couples enter marriage with themselves at the starting point. Their wants, their wishes, their desires, their fulfillment. Marriage exists for them. And you know what happens when that is your starting point? It isn't long before you pray that your spouse dies. And I'm not even joking. I am not. Married couples, God's good word to you this morning 
is that your marriage, His wisdom in bringing you and your wife, you and your husband, bringing you together, it exists to glorify and to magnify and to make much of Jesus, not you. Now, to be sure, God has created marriage for our good. Amen? Some of the greatest pleasures and joys we can ever experience this side of heaven can be found in marriage. Yet the ultimate purpose of marriage is not our own satisfaction. Something, I want to hopefully show you this morning, something much more grand and significant and glorious is happening in your marriage than simply your satisfaction. And that's magnifying the worth and glory of our Savior. And I tell you what, man, if I can get couples to get on board with this, if I can get couples to embrace this foundational truth, there is great hope for their marriage. You know why? Because if you believe that your marriage exists for Christ's glory and not your own, that is what it can empower you to be, please hear me, long-suffering. Even in a nursing home where your husband or your wife constantly argues against you. This is what can empower you to love someone who doesn't love you in return or the way you would like. Why? Because you're not loving that person for your own gain, but for the glory of Jesus. I want to image and reflect what he calls me to do in my marriage. You're fulfilling your God-ordained purpose. So you see, I'm a Christian husbands. Based on this passage, here's the question that I just I have. This is the main point, and then I just have two subpoints. You're welcome. And the two subpoints, they're questions. One for the husband, one for the wife. It, could the day get any better for you? Right? Okay. So okay. So so Christian husband, here's the question. I'd encourage you to memorize, to write down. You need to ask this in each and every situation in your marriage, and that is, do my attitudes and actions image or reflect Christ's love for the church? When I'm talking to my spouse on the phone, when we're making plans to go out of town, when we're having a disagreement, when we're laying down mulch, when we're taking down wallpaper, when we're loading the dishwasher, Christian husband, you are called to something so significant. You are called to image and to reflect the love of Jesus Christ where he sacrificially gave of his life for his bride, the church. In each situation, you ask about, am I reflecting that as I interact with my wife? Likewise, wives... This passage is calling you to ask yourself this. Do my attitudes and actions image the church's glad-hearted, submissive response to Christ? Even when my husband chooses to do something that I prefer we not do. God has created marriage to display Christ's love for the church and her joyful submission to this. The aim of your marriage, Christian, is to reflect this beautiful truth. Now, just, I mean, 
think of how disorienting this is. I mean, really. What if we really believed this? <laughs> what if we really such I mean, God is calling us to do something incredible. And then I want to also argue is satisfying. So what I want to do this morning is give careful thought to this wondrous mystery of marriage. I want us to explore the implications and applications of God's grand purpose for marriage. So let's first consider the high calling of a husband's image, of a husband's calling to image Christ's love for the church. So we're going to go back here to husbands. Notice how Paul makes this very clear. I'm going to read again verses 25 down to, to 30 here. So Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So husbands, first, do your attitudes and actions reflect or do they image Christ's love for the church? A, uh, a man from Berlin, Germany took a very uh, unusual, is probably the best word to say, approach to, try, to trying to bring peace to his marriage. You know what he did? According to CNN, the man used an old air raid siren to stun his wife into submission. Yes, you, you heard that correctly. He was using an old air raid siren to stun his wife into submission. The man's name is Vladimir. And according to the CNN News report, Vladimir claims, quote, My wife never lets me get a word in edgewise. So I crank up the siren and let it rip for a few minutes. It works every time. <laughs> Afterwards, it's real quiet again. <laughs> the 73-year-old man's 220-volt rooftop siren was confiscated by police <laughs> after neighbors filed complaints. As for his wife of 32 years, she said, my husband is a stubborn mule, so I have to get loud. Now, in the, in the passage I just read, uh, in which, by the way, we've, we've gone over this the last couple of weeks, but in the passage I just read, God gives his marching orders to Christian husbands. And very clearly, husbands are to love their wives like Christ loved the church. And please notice... Contrary to what Vladimir and his air raid siren might think, 
Christian husband, notice the verbs and notice the commands. God does not command you to get your wife to submit to you. It's not your job. Nor does he command you to get your wife to respect you. No, God's command, regardless of what she does, is for you to love your wife and the example given that you're to reflect is the self-sacrifice just as Christ loved the church. And as we looked at last week, this means you give yourself up sacrificially. You give yourself up, your wants, your wishes, your desires, sacrificially for her good. It also means you accept the responsibilities given to you by God as the head of your marriage. As we talked about last week, I mean, look very clearly there in verses 26 and following. Christ takes it upon himself. He accepts the responsibility for the well-being and flourishing of his bride. And then you also, you pursue her good. So Christian husband, I invite you to ask yourself in each and every situation this question, do my attitudes and actions, which includes your demeanor, your countenance, does it reflect an image Christ's love for the church? So, so let me give you an example of what this looks like. So I, I personally, I know a man, a Christian man, who has same-sex attraction, yet he is married to a woman and has children with her. He loves his wife. He absolutely loves his wife and she loves him. And in obedience to Christ, you know how this Christian husband views the marriage bed? He views it as an opportunity to serve and bless his wife. Now the world might think that this is a duplicitous lifestyle. But the Bible does not. And you know why? Because our desires aren't king, Jesus is. You see, though his natural inclination is toward sinful desires that Scripture clearly condemns, he not only actively puts these desires to death and refuses to act on them, but with the Spirit's help and God's grace, he seeks to fulfill his role as a husband in loving his wife and leading his family. You see, that man embraces what this text teaches, and that is marriage exists for Christ's glory, not his. His starting point is not himself, his wants, his wishes and desires. No, his starting point is the glory of God and wanting to honor his Savior. Jesus is king, not my desires. So he's striving to live in joyful obedience to King Jesus. And you know what he has found? Living for Christ is far more satisfying than living for yourself. Joy is found in self-forgetfulness, not self-absorption. Self-absorption. 
Now, please hear me. To be sure, it's hard. It is hard. I'm not saying that it is not hard. But if we believe that God is good and He does good, it should not surprise us then when living in obedience to Him brings about the greatest joy. Indeed, I want to suggest that Scripture repeatedly teaches it, doesn't it? I mean, what does John write in 1 John 5? Hear these words. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not what? Birds. Do you believe that? His commandments, such as what we're looking at right now, they're not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Or I think of Psalm 1611. What a precious psalm. It says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. We could say the opposite. In the presence of sin there is not. Though sin deceives us into thinking that there is. No, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. And again, I just want to press this question upon our hearts as I've been pressing upon my heart. Do you believe that? Christian husband, what would change in your marriage if you purpose to reflect Christ's love for the church towards your wife? What change would take place in the marriage bed? What change would take place when you speak to your wife on the phone? What changes would take place in how you lead your wife and your family spiritually? Jesus takes the responsibility to lead and nourish his bride. Men, Christian husbands, are you burdening your wife with a responsibility that should be yours? What is your demeanor and manner towards your wife? Jesus no, Jesus cares and cherishes his wife. Do you express care for your wife? Indeed, do, do you actually care for your wife? Uh, uh, the Apostle Peter also speaks to marriage in 1 Peter 3. And in that passage, he calls husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way and to show them honor. When was the last time you, you showed honor to your wife? Christian fathers, when was the last time you did that in front of your children? Could I, could I encourage you husbands to actively look for ways you can praise your wife and to praise your wife in front of your kids and grandkids? Let them see a husband who honors and cherishes his wife. So, so Christian husbands, my encouragement to you this morning is to, to meditate on this question. In each and every interaction with your wife, am I reflecting Christ's love for the church in the way I'm treating my wife? In good times, in hard times, 
when you're busy, when you have time? All right, so husbands, take a breather. You're done. Okay. <laughs> Not quite, no. But now to wives, like wives, likewise, wives, ask yourself this question. Do my attitude and actions image or reflect the church's glad-hearted, submissive response to Christ? Look again at 22 through 24. When Paul writes, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I, I recently read of a married couple who were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary, and, and at the party, as you can imagine, everyone wanted to know, you know, how did you guys manage to stay married so long, especially in this day and age? And the husband, re- the husband replied with this, he said, well... When we were first married, we came to an agreement where I would make the major decisions and my wife would make all the minor decisions. At which point the wife said, and after 50 years of marriage, we have never need to make a major decision. (laughs) Now, while her statement is both quick-witted and funny, which I tap my hat to her about that, It's also revealing. And I would suggest, you know what it reveals? It reveals a lack of glad-hearted submission. Because why else would there never be any major decision in 50 years of marriage? As we mentioned last week, headship means authority. God has placed Christ as the head of the church and husbands as the head of their wives. And Paul in this passage clearly teaches that a wife is to submit to her own husband and everything, just as the church submits to Christ. And for a moment, I want us to consider how the church actually does submit to Christ. I mean, how does the church do that? Can you think of some examples? Here are a couple for you to consider. Consider how the church submits to Christ in regards to her polity. Christ has clear instructions and standards for who is to be a pastor, elder, deacon, as 1 Timothy 3 describes, right? A church submits to Christ by following those instructions. The church also submits to Christ in regards to how she orders herself in worship. We see this in 1 Corinthians 11, do we not? Paul, Paul spills a lot of ink on this. Or consider what we read in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. In those chapters, the risen Christ speaks directly to the churches, does he not? And what does he call his churches to do? What does he call his church to do? He, he calls his bride to persevere. He calls her to return to her first love. Multiple places 
in those two chapters. The risen Christ speaks to his bride and calls her to repent. You know what else he calls his church to do in those verses? Not tolerate teaching that promotes sexual immorality. Indeed, this is his charge against the church in Thyatira, is it not? For what does Christ say in that passage? He says, Jesus levels the charge that they tolerate that woman Jezebel, who by her teaching leads the church into sexual immorality. The church in Pergamum isn't much better, are they? Again, the words of Christ ring loud. They allowed the teaching of Balaam to slip in and entice God's people to sin and commit sexual immorality. Now to be sure, those, those churches were doing a lot of good deeds. They're doing a lot of good things that the world would approve of. They, they even celebrated Jesus. But they conformed to the teaching of the world that promotes and blesses immorality. They were silent against such sins. And if we are going to take the words of Christ seriously, then we cannot dismiss His strong, and I would even say at times harsh words to these churches. Jesus calls His church to have a zero tolerance policy concerning teaching that celebrates immorality. In faith, we, we do live in a sexually confused and corrupt culture. And sadly, there are many churches refusing to speak out against such evils and call people to repentance and life in Jesus. Indeed, we have churches celebrating and affirming sexual perversions and transgenderism. And you know what those churches are? unsubmissive. They are not submissive to their head, Christ. And it is not loving nor obedient to Christ to be silent on these matters. If we believe that darkness is destructive, then we must, as commanded by Christ in Ephesians 5.11, expose the darkness, and call people to the light of Christ. As the church, we must submit to our head, Jesus. And as Paul teaches here in verses 22 through 24, wives are called by God to reflect the church's glad-hearted, submissive response to Christ. And this, this week, I was just pondering... And I wonder, and this, this could just be me, but I wonder if the weak state of many Christian marriages is simply a reflection of the anemic churches they attend. Churches that refuse to submit to Christ's Lordship. So what does it practically look like for a wife to submit to her husband? Well, I want to direct your attention once more to this very helpful quote uh, 
by Jim Neuheiser in his book. And he writes this. This, I think, is a nuts and bolts that can help us. He writes, Biblical submission means that after a couple has discussed an issue, the husband has the responsibility under God to make the final decision. A godly wife will try to work for the success of whatever decision her husband makes, as opposed to an unsubmissive wife who might be tempted to grumble, nag, or undermine her husband's leadership. You see, Christian wives, submission is a calling to honor and affirm your husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to your gifts. Now, this does not mean you're to submit to your husband by engaging in sin. A wife is called to submit up to the point where submission to her own husband would involve disobedience to God. Are we, are we clear on that, right? But please hear me. There is a vast difference between sin and personal preference. Furthermore, and I just want to drill down here for a moment because this is where all of us live who are married. Christian wives, your husband might lead you to do something that is not sin, but in his manner, he himself does sin. For example, your husband might want to selfishly, with selfish motives, take the family to eat at Gustavo's when you really want to eat at Panera Bread. Okay? He's not leading you into sin by going to a Mexican restaurant. Okay? God is well aware of your husband's motives. God is well aware of how your husband is either succeeding or failing to love you like Christ loved the church. And, and men, hear me. If you're acting selfishly, God will deal with you. Your Christian wife, in that moment, you are still called to submit to your husband. He's not leading you into sin. He himself might be sinning in his motives or his demeanor, but he's not leading you into sin. Because remember, Christian wives, you're to submit to your own husband as to the Lord. That is, you submit not because your husband is worthy, but because Jesus is. But that said, Christian wives, if you do see a sin pattern in your husband, God would call you to speak the truth to him in love. Right? To, to speak the truth in love means whatever hard truth I need to say to you, I'm going to speak those words first out of a love for God and then second out of a love for you and the order is important. <coughs> Here's why. Uh, and wives, I'm sure you're going to give an amen here. But other people's sin can make your life miserable, can't it? Your spouse's sin can bring about great inconvenience into your life. And in those moments, we can be tempted to tell a hard truth, not out of a love for God and definitely not out of a love for them, but out of a love for us. Yet when me and my concerns are my greatest treasure, bad fruit is going to emerge. So to effectively speak the truth in love, for God's good word to have its intended effect, then my chief motivation in that moment is to treasure God. That is, I want God's purposes more than I want my own. So, back to this. Wives, do you reflect the church's glad-hearted, submissive response to Christ 
in the way you submit to your husband. Let me ask you directly, are there any areas of your life, or any areas rather, that you are fighting and resisting your husband's leadership? You know, uh, many wives will lament that their husbands are passive and don't lead. Yet could it be, Christian wife, consider this, could it be that the reason why your husband is passive is because he has tried to lead in the past, but you keep wearing him down with an unsubmissive spirit so that he just decides, you know what, I'm going to emotionally check out? Wives, you have to understand, men aren't as dumb as we look. It, if all your husband gets is pushback, 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 fighting, fighting, from any decision he tries to make under the lordship of Jesus to serve his family well, if all he's getting pushback is pushback because it's not something you want to do or you don't like it, then I tell you, He's going to stop leading. Because it's just not worth it. Now, is that the correct response of the husband? No. Husbands, you're called to lead and to love regardless of whether she responds as she ought to or not. Yet the reality is there are many worn out husbands who have chosen to be passive because their wife is unsubmissive. You know, last week, I closed by reminding husbands of Proverbs 18.22, which says that he who finds a wife finds what? A good thing. But you know what? <laughs> There's some other passages in Proverbs that speak about a wife who has an unsubmissive spirit, and they're found in chapter 21. For example, 21.9 says this, Better to live on a corner of the roof then share a house with a quarrelsome wife. And then just a few verses down. Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. Now I have never lived in the desert, nor on the corner of a roof, but my guess is it's not pleasant. And to the married women here, Does this describe you? What would those closest to you say? In fact, I, last week, I asked the husbands to ask their wives, how could I love and lead better? Wives, I would ask you to ask your husbands, do you see this in me? Now, just on a side note to the young men here who one day would aspire to be married, let these verses instruct you. As you're thinking about who to marry, see how this young lady interacts with her parents and her parents' authority, especially her father's. Is she submissive or defiant? How is she with Christ? Is she quick to obey Christ or defiant? 
Faith, marriage is a good gift from God. Amen? And God in His wisdom has, has brought this, created this beautiful thing to reflect His extreme love and care for His church. And this week, my prayer is that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who deserves the greater glory. For He has not only redeemed us, but He's doing all things for His glory and our good. And may our marriages reflect the truth we just saw here. Husbands, this week may you reflect Christ's love for the church in every interaction you have with your wife. And wives, may you reflect the church's glad-hearted submission in your response to Him. Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray.